Okay, class. Today we're gonna start with the basics. Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast. Thanks for listening today. I'm Pastor Eric, and I am here on my computer with our youth director, Tim. How are you doing, Tim? Good, good, good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and Pastor Ben. How are you doing, Pastor Ben? I am under the weather, but I'm still here. Yeah, so we, uh, you'll notice probably right away the audio, the excellence is, is not where we like it to be, but that is because we have to record this podcast from a distance because we are all in quarantine. So um, we are away from people and in our private spaces and we are talking over Zoom. So if you do have any issues with the quality of the audio, that is why, because we are not in my office doing that type of thing. So at this point we are uh, all have had COVID or maybe have had COVID. So we're all just kind of getting over that and looking forward to reconvening um, at the campus sometime next week after that. So thank you guys for listening today. Uh, Today we have uh, another question from you guys that is, again, uh, we're we're trying to kind of have a correspondence between the sermon on Sunday and then the the questions that we're wrestling with. So these are all those questions that you guys have that we just haven't been able to get to in the sermon series, More Conversations with Jesus. So if you do want to listen to that, head over to the website or catch those sermons here on the podcast. But we're taking other questions and we are exploring uh, some adjacent issues. So Pastor Ben, you preached a sermon this Sunday while we were doing church at home. Uh, Can you just kind of fill us in? What did we talk about on Sunday and uh, what was the question and where did we end up um, in the scripture? Yeah, we talked about this, this idea of what happens to the people in the present or the past who have never heard the name of Jesus. Since we are, are saved by grace alone and a kind of Christ alone through faith alone in, in Jesus, what happens to all those who have never heard about Jesus? So in our modern day, that would be people who are like on a remote island, who don't have a Bible, television, radio, or a missionary to speak the name of Christ to them. Or if we backed up in history, how about all those people before the cross of Christ? And so what we see in the book of Romans is that God provides the light of creation to us. And if we respond to that light, he gives us more light until we walk into a beautiful relationship with him, which is culminated in heaven. So what I used was a metaphor from my own personal life. And and probably for anyone who's married, you kind of understand this, is that in the beginning, you did not have a relationship with your, your spouse. And so you first noticed them maybe you spoke with them and there was some light there. There was a spark there. And then you responded to that spark and that relationship grew. You went on a date, you went on a second date, you went on a third date and ultimately you were walking down the aisle and then growing in that relationship as a married couple. And in very, very uh, in, in the same way we see in Romans that our relationship with God can work like that, where there's a spark, there's a light. We respond to that light And then as we respond to that light, God gives us more light to uh, allow us to be in relationship with him. So in the end, we're not held held accountable to the light that God provides. And so that's what we see in the book of Romans. So when we think about those people who are in different times, in different places, we see like in the example of Abraham, 
that he had faith and it was accounted to him as righteousness, even though he never knew about Jesus. He never heard of Jesus. And in the same way, um, if we respond to light that God has given us, we can find an avenue to be in relationship with, with him. And so that's what we talked about on Sunday. And really the big takeaway for us as individuals, as, as people of faith, is that our job is to be the light bearers. And so as we think about our neighbors, our family members, and our friends, obviously we want them to have as much light as possible. That's where we come in to do, live out the great commandment and great commission, to do the loving act of proclaiming Christ's loving act to the nations. And so uh, that's where our role steps into that equation is that uh, we shouldn't be so concerned about the hypothetical when the very practical lives right down the road. And so that's uh, where we're at for our sermon. So obviously that's a quick snippet. If you want to hear the whole thing, like Pastor Eric said, go ahead and go to our website and get fully caught up. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor Ben. All right. And uh, so what we're going to do today is we're going to uh, look at a question that, that again, kind of is, is related to this. Because there's this concern that, uh, well, if someone doesn't hear the gospel, they don't respond to the gospel, then how are they saved? And there's some, uh, uh, some answer to that in some Christian history, in some Christian doctrine, um, and that is specifically in a more Calvinistic or what we would call Reformed doctrine. They have what they call predestination, which means that some people are chosen for heaven and um, in some of the more conservative, uh, maybe not, maybe that's not the right word, maybe there's some of uh, the more deeply entrenched uh, versions of that Calvinistic thought, um, they would also say that God chooses some to go to hell. That if God chooses some to go to heaven, then necessarily he chooses some to not be saved, to go to hell. So uh, the question then that we had is somebody uh, is obviously thinking about this, um, this concern Maybe they've heard uh, about this more kind of reformed way of thinking. And this is the question that they posed. Are Christians predestined to be saved? And why would God harden some people's hearts? So we're going to dig in today on the question of predestination, uh, how God predestines us, why he predestines us, um, and also what that means and, and what it means for us as people, uh, us as Christians, and how we should uh, be responding to some of that predestination. So I'm actually going to kick it back to you, Pastor Ben, uh, since you are kind of our resident history buff uh, when it comes to the development of doctrine and those types of things. Can you just give us a brief overview of what, like, what is predestination? Uh, where does it come from in church history? Um, who believes it? And what are some of those shades of belief when it comes to predestination? Sure. When we, if you go to, once again, if you go to a seminary, went to a Bible school, took a, a Bible class along the way, there's kind of two sides of the spectrum. One would be called Calvinism and one would be called Arminianism. And so to kind of give you an idea of what those sides entail is in Calvinism, God chooses who goes to heaven and hell. So therefore God predestined what was going to happen and it's really due to his planning. So before the world began, he picked the winners and losers. That's the Calvinistic idea, and, and most people would call it double predestination because he's predestining people for both regards, heaven and hell. Uh, Arminianism, when we say Calvinistic, we're talking about the ideologies from John Calvin, correct? Yes. I just wanted yep. to clear that, clarify that for the listeners. Yeah, and then the Ar Arminianism is, is basically the opposite, where God lets people choose 
who goes to heaven and hell. So people pick heaven or people pick hell. And, and the word predestination is accepted by both people, but when someone who's more from that Arminianism slant, they would say that God is predestining people based on his foreknowledge of their choice. So those would be the two sides of the coin. And so actually um, Arminianism was developed by somebody who actually came out of a, uh, a church connected with John Kelvin. And so uh, you see the divide there. And so they, they go to the furthest sides of the spectrums. And it's really all kind of predicated on a number of verses. We'll get to that here in a second. But just to kind of give you a, a clear picture of where Lutherans drop in, we're essentially dancing in the messy middle, just like normal. So in our understanding, God chooses who goes to heaven based on the work of the Holy Spirit, but man chooses hell for themselves by rejecting God's call on their life. So uh, you can see how it's kind of a hybrid of both, and we'll make sense of that here in a second. But it goes back to our stance as Lutherans that we're going to let all of Scripture speak, not just some of Scripture speak. And as we dive into God's word today, we're going to see that to be a Calvinist requires you to discount some of scripture and to be a pure Calvinist and to be a pure, to land purely in the Arminian camp, then you would have to also discount some of scripture. Lutherans, we don't have to discount scripture, but we don't have the same maybe clean system that uh, the other, other groups fall into. No, very good. Thank you, Ben. You're like you said, Lutherans, we kind of hold this, this issue in tension. Uh, and I know that in my own experience, uh, this has been a pretty significant kind of battle um, that a fight that I've had with uh, uh, people like, like ruined friendships over this conversation uh, because we just could not come to grips with it. And uh, I know I grew up in, in a Wesleyan Methodist uh, church, which would be more of the Arminian, as you, as you said, uh, Pastor Ben, uh, more of the Arminian slant where man has free will to choose or not to choose. And, um, and predestination is not something that Wesleyans say, yes, that does happen. Um, there's lots of ways that they kind of talk around the scriptures, but they don't um, necessarily um, deal with them as a Lutheran would. Uh, for sure. So I guess I'm just curious for you guys in your own experience, um, have you guys wrestled with this issue of predestination and, and what did that wrestling look like for you um, as you were growing up and, and being called into ministry? Yeah, so I've definitely had this conversation and like you, Eric, I've almost lost friends because of this um, very topic. Uh, at my last church, so I worked at a United Methodist church and the head youth pastor there he was very much into predestination and it's weird because I was like, wait, but you work for United Methodist church. So why are you like, why do you still have this ideology? And I mean, he just went on and basically like what his whole thing was, was, uh, and and the, the reason that he just couldn't like fully go into the free will deal is because, um, on the road to Damascus, when Paul, or when it was Saul before Paul, mm-hmm. when Saul was on the road to Damascus, um, he went up, uh, when Jesus came down to uh, Saul and blinded him, and then Saul eventually became Paul because of this, uh, he would argue 
that, I mean, yes, there is free will, but if you see this eternal being talking directly to you, Mm -hmm. um, and then, like, you go blind because of just this encounter with this being, you can't really, like, there's no way you could say no to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was his, and and, and I kind of started to buy into it a little bit, but then I started to look deeply or deeper into scripture, and then that's that, and that's really one of the reasons that I agree with the Lutheran ideologies, just and theology, is because I believe that there is more of a messy middle. And yes, it does feel good to have that clean, clear yes. cut, yeah. um, like theology and like having that. But I, 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 we have to, like as Ben said, we have to not only just interpret some scripture, but we have to interpret yeah. all of scripture. And we can't just pick and choose what we agree. And just because we like one verse more than the other, we can't, like, they, they're both equal. And they both deserve, um, they, they both deserve, like, us paying attention to. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's something that I've definitely wrestled with. I, wrestled, I even wrestled with it in, in college. Yeah. Um, just looking at, well, like, okay, so I've been, basically, like, I've had this, great life I was brought up in the church and like you know like why why did God choose me mm. and so I believe if I was a if I did believe in predestination I, I don't know if I could really fully buy into that because I mean I would have sympathy for other people like yeah. what makes me so special right you know like right. what like why <laughs> like mm-hmm. that just doesn't I don't yeah. I don't think I could I just can't buy into that yeah for me I I grew up in more of a I, I grew up in a church called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which was an evangelical movement. And so in, in this in this stream of thought, people have debates about these things, but mm-hmm. it's not a lot it's not a big part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. So the professors that I had in my undergrad, which were from that stream of thought, some of them one day it seemed like they were saying, Yeah, I'm kind of I think I'm Calvinistic, and then the next day it would be the opposite. And then it went back and forth. But the way we lived out our lives and the way our uh, system of justification was built is that it definitely was an Arminian. It was definitely in that Arminianism camp because we would pray prayers of salvation, which of course gives credence to the fact in in some ways that it was us who was doing the work. Mm -hmm. And of course, I think now as I look at it from a Lutheran perspective, I say, okay, I was responding to what God had already done within my heart. Yeah, I was just actually living out that faith that was already integrated into me. But that was probably more where I camped out for most of my journey. I've never been in the Calvinistic thought process because for me, life in general made no sense. It had no value at all. Yeah. If uh, God had already, if I already got, God had already picked the winners and losers, why are we playing the game? Mm -hmm. However, if, if we were playing the game, and God knows the winners and losers, that's, that's something completely different. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was where I'd camped out most of my life. So when I stepped into the Lutheran stream of thought, this is probably one of those things that offered me the most challenge is trying to figure out how to balance these two things. Yeah. Because I do like clean and clear cut systems, mm-hmm. but that also means I'm going to put God into a box of my clean and clear cut system. So I like the messy middle because one, it shows that God is much larger than we are. 
Yes. Uh, and then also it, it takes into account all of scripture, which mm -hmm. might not make a perfectly clean line. Uh, but that's why I can definitely be comfortable in the idea that, look, as we look into scripture, especially here in a second, we're going to see mm -hmm. that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Mm -hmm. And yet God wants everyone to be saved. And yet not everyone is saved. Right. So we have to live in that tension. And uh, so that's, that's where I've come. But I would say most of my upbringing would have been highly in conflict. And really, probably the majority of my life, I would say all of my life has been highly in conflict with that idea of double predestination and the Calvinistic, pure Calvinistic thought. Yeah, yeah. So there are a number of passages that we can look at. And I do want to look at a few of them. And what we're going to see as we enter into this time of looking at Scripture is that there are, there are Scriptures that support, that seem to support uh, both a kind of Calvinistic view and an Arminian view. So what we're going to see as we enter into the Scripture is that there are going to be times where Scripture seems to plainly say um, that humans have free will um, and that we are responsible for the choices that we make. And there are also going to be some scriptures that we hear a lot about the chosenness that we um, are chosen and that we are predestined by God. So there's, um, that's what we're going to see as we enter into this time uh, of looking at the scripture. I do want to um, start by looking at one of the scriptures that this question actually uh, highlights, which is, uh, does God harden hearts or why does God harden hearts? And this is, uh, this is a quote or a reference to a passage, uh, Exodus chapter nine, verse 12. Um, and this is when uh, God is rescuing the Israelites out of Egypt. And this is what uh, chapter nine, verse 12 of Exodus says, but the Lord made Pharaoh stubborn or hardened or hardened his heart. Um, and Pharaoh wouldn't listen to them just as the Lord has said to Moses. So this is one of the earliest times in scripture that those who lean a little bit more into the predestination field, uh, lean a little bit more that way theologically are going to say, see, look, here we see plainly that God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. God is acting on Pharaoh and he does not in fact have um, a, a will to uh, agree to let the Israelites go. So that's going to be one of the earliest times that uh, folks who kind of adhere to this predestination or adhere to a more rigid God acts on us and we don't, we are not the ones who make the choices, but it's actually God doing it to us. Uh, that's going to be one of the earliest passages they look at. So what I want to do now is I just want to go, uh, I want to, I want to backtrack and I want to kind of highlight this story um, and give it a little bit of context. Uh, then once I kind of get to the end of this, we can, um, we can then discuss this. So this story starts way back in Exodus chapter 5. So if you are listening, um, go ahead and grab a Bible. Or uh, if you're driving, don't. Don't read if you're driving. Uh, but if you are at home or you're listening. Unless you're driving in Kansas, right? Or you uh, can just like. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 Tim, you're telling on me. You're telling on me. Don't, don't do that. So go ahead and you can uh, open up a Bible app or uh, grab a Bible. But back in uh, chapter 5 is when God uh, first challenges Pharaoh through Moses. So this is when they kind of confront each other for the first time. Um, this is one of, this is Pharaoh in um, the Egyptian world is, is a God. Uh, he's the king of Egypt. 
and he is considered uh, a demigod. So he has the power of the gods. He's the one who regulates the Nile. Um, he has these kind of supernatural cosmic powers. And this instance is Moses. When Moses comes to Pharaoh, this is God going toe to toe with Pharaoh in this moment. So it starts in chapter five, and this is the first meeting um, between God and, and Pharaoh in this instance. So afterward, it says, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, Israel, this is what Yahweh, Israel's God says. Let my people go so that they can hold a festival for me in the desert. But Pharaoh said, who is this Lord? Who is Yahweh? And, and I'm supposed to obey him by letting the Israelites go? I don't know Yahweh. And I certainly will not let the Israelites go. Um, then we jump down. Uh, they have a little bit of a conversation and we jump down to verse six and it says on the very same day, Pharaoh commanded the people's slave masters and supervisors. Verse seven, don't supply the people with straw. They need to make bricks like you did before. Let them go and gather the straw for themselves. So the very first meeting of Pharaoh and God, uh, he says, I don't know Yahweh. And I'm not going to respect Yahweh. And in fact, he actually makes it harder on the Israelites. So now they, not only do they have to shape the bricks and build the bricks, but they have to go gather the straw themselves. So he actually increases the workload on the Israelites. Um, and here in chapter five, there's no statement that God uh, made Pharaoh make this decision. It is presented to us that Pharaoh made this decision. He had never heard of Yahweh. He didn't know who Yahweh was. And he says, I'm not going to listen to you guys. I, I, don't, I don't recognize your God. And he makes it harder on the Israelites. Then we jump down to verse, uh, to chapter four, or sorry, excuse me, chapter seven, verse um, 14. And this is when we start getting the, the, uh, the plagues of Egypt. We have all these plagues that come along. The first one um, that we have here. Um, is the water into blood. In verse, verse 14, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh is stubborn, and he still refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out into the water. Make sure you stand at the bank of the Nile River so that you will run into him. Bring along the shepherd's rod that you turn into a snake. And then he goes on and gives Moses instructions to make the river turn into blood. So we have here God we are told in verse 14, God recognizes that Pharaoh is stubborn, but we still don't have any explicit words that God made Pharaoh stubborn or God made Pharaoh hard-hearted. It's simply uh, a descriptive. God tells Moses that Pharaoh is stubborn. Then we jump down to chapter 18, verse 14, verse 15, I mean. Uh, chapter 8, verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that the disaster was over, this is the frogs that happened. Uh, he became stubborn again and wouldn't listen to them, just as the Lord had said. So the Lord is recognizing that Pharaoh is stubborn, that he's going to remain stubborn. And up to this point, we have no, there's no uh, indication or hints that it is God who is making Pharaoh stubborn. Up until this point, it's Pharaoh's own arrogance and his own um, ego that is not allowing him to let the people go, his own greediness as well. We jump down to verse 19. Chapter 8, verse 19. The religious experts said to Pharaoh, this is after the lice, um, this is something only God could do. Uh, only, a, only a God could do is what that means. But Pharaoh was stubborn, and he wouldn't listen to them just as the Lord 
had said. We jump down chapter 8, verse 32. We're going to find something similar. Um, but Pharaoh was stubborn once again, and he wouldn't let the people go. Chapter 9, verse 7. Pharaoh asked around and found out that not one of Israel's livestock had died. This is after the angel of death came. Or, or sorry, this is after the, uh, um, the, the livestock uh, becomes sick. Uh, that, that not one of Israel's livestock had died, but Pharaoh was stubborn, or he was hard-hearted, and he wouldn't let the people go. And then we get to verse 12 of chapter 9. Um, after the score, after the, 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 the sores and the blisters, this is when it says, but the Lord made Pharaoh stubborn and Pharaoh wouldn't listen to them just as the Lord had said to Moses. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, six times that Pharaoh is called stubborn before we're told that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. The Hebrew Bible, uh, the old Testament, it's very much into patterns and it likes patterns and when it deviates from the pattern, that's when you want to pay attention. So it's an intentional choice that for six times, Pharaoh is called stubborn. But on the seventh time, it is said that God made Pharaoh stubborn. That's an intentional choice. Um, if we're going to trust the scriptures, we, sh we should pay attention to that. So when we look at chapter 9, verse 12, uh, to me reading this, this is not a proof that God uh, has willed um, and wills sin or not sin into people's lives. I, what I see is I see a pattern that Pharaoh, his own ego, his own arrogance is uh, making him hard-hearted. And then God said, fine, I'm going to turn you over to your own thing. I'm going to, I'm going to help you continue in your sin. So <laughs> then he hardens Pharaoh's heart, which is a much different conversation than a predestination. Uh, and to me, this passage is not telling us that Pharaoh did not have a choice. He had six choices before God hardened his heart. Uh, what this is, is what a pattern that we see in the Old Testament a lot, is that people make bad, bad choices, bad choices, bad choices, bad choices. And then God finally says, okay, fine. You can, you can choose to live that way, but I'm going to bring destruction onto you if you live that way. Um, and so he actually is turning Pharaoh over to what Pharaoh is already doing. And then he's going to cause the destruction of the angel of, of death uh, because of Pharaoh's hard-heartedness hard and his continuous choosing um, to be stubborn and to harden his own heart. So that's kind of the first time that we see this conversation happening. I just want to kick it over to you guys. You, I, I know that you guys know these passages pretty well. Um, what do you see here? Uh, what do you think's going on here when it comes to Pharaoh hardening his own heart, God hardening his heart? What are you guys thinking? I think it just shows humanity in those passages. I mean, we see this all the time, especially as you watch people age, you can really see this is we get ourselves into these ruts mm. and then we basically cement ourselves into these ruts. So uh, just recently we had a member pass away 104 years old and she was a blessing to be around. Mm -hmm. And her whole life, she was, as far as all, all accounts that I've heard, she was a sweet, wonderful lady. And as she got older, she just became more of the same. And then you run into people who you visit who are older, and they're kind of just horrible to be around. Yes. Because over their, over their life, they have become more and more and more cranky and crabby, and they freeze into themselves. 
And I think this is just another picture of Pharaoh, no, 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 no. And he frees himself into the no response. Mm-hmm. I mean, things get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And his character becomes so definitive that it's almost like an inescapable prison mm-hmm. for him. Yeah. And in many ways, our sin is an inescapable prison for us. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that is kind of more of that Lutheran perspective. So I think that's what it is. It's a picture of the reality of what we all face as humans mm-hmm. as we get ourselves into these ruts. And then in many ways it can be perceived as an impossibility to escape or almost like a supernatural mm-hmm. <clears throat> result mm-hmm. or uh, imposition on our will. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I was going to say, I mean, when you look at Pharaoh, it's like he was in an inescapable prison and that prison was sin. Mm-hmm. And so it, I mean, in order, and as we read scripture, in order for us to, even us to escape this inescapable prison, it takes who? It takes Jesus. Right. It takes the Holy Spirit. And so it takes something other than ourselves. It takes something supernatural for us to get out of this. And so, yeah, it just very much just shows like his human nature and really human nature in general. Yeah. Yeah, and I think from a Lutheran perspective, we would say that this is an example of Pharaoh choosing and God choosing. So uh, where we would say, you know, where one group, uh, for example, uh, those who are more Calvinistic, more Reformed, they might say, well, uh, God hardening Pharaoh's heart is implicit in those passages. Or, well, God told Moses that, that Pharaoh was going to harden his heart, so obviously God was making Pharaoh harden his heart. They would kind of talk around the scriptures uh, to make a point. And same thing with the Arminian um, tradition, they might say, well, it's not that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's just that Pharaoh continued to harden his own heart. They would try to walk around it. I think that the Lutheran position would say, no, what we see here is that God hardened Pharaoh's heart in verse 12, chapter nine. He did it. So God was acting on Pharaoh and turning him over and kind of willing him over to um, sin. But we also see Pharaoh hardening his own heart and becoming stubborn himself uh, those other six times. So I think from a Lutheran perspective, we would say we see both of these things in play at the same time um, and not necessarily one or the other. It would be, we would say, okay, this is an example of where human agency and the human tendency to sin is on display and also God um, working on somebody and turning them over to their own sin is on display. All right. So uh, what other passages uh, might we want to look at, guys? Um, what other major passages do we see that address this question of predestination or, um, or free will? Sure. I'll, I'll take that one. Move our way from the Old Testament into the New Testament. We actually run into the, the passage that most people debate about. And, and that's Ephesians 1. Uh, four through six, specifically verse five, but I'll read the whole thing. It says, for he chose us, he's talking about God, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us, so there's that word, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And so, once again, I I said this before, whether you're a a Calvinist or you're in the 
Arminianism camp, you would both believe that predestination, predestination is a thing. Yes. It's just how you're viewing how it's working itself out. So once again, Calvinistic would say, uh, predestined God chooses who goes to heaven and hell beforehand, right? He's predestined us for adoption. He's choosing us to be part of his family. Or the other side would say, because he foreknew. So he knew that people would want to be a part of the family. And so therefore that foreknowledge predestined them. Right. And so as we keep working through scripture, that's the kind of, that's the tension passage. The rest, I don't know if they resolve that tension, but I think they definitely bring us into more of that messy middle. Yeah. So if we go to John six forty four, mm -hmm. it says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. So once again, we cannot save ourselves. The Father has to do the drawing, and primarily that happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. Then if we go to Colossians 2, 13 through 14, and this is a great passage for Lutherans, it says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God yes. made you alive with Christ. So dead people cannot bring themselves to life, right? right? We, we know that. And so that's, that's why that's such a definitive passage for us. So, but here's the question then, does God, you know, everything we've read so far seems to say that, that God is the one who does everything. So does he just pick some people and therefore uh, unintentionally damn other people or how does that work? Well, in second Peter, we see that that's not where his heart is. In second Peter three, nine, it says, instead, he is patient with you. Yes. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So we see that God wants everyone to be a part of his family, right? Yeah. Christ wants everyone to be in relationship with him. And so therefore we run into a tension point. If he wants everyone to be in a relationship with him, why doesn't he just force everyone mm -hmm. into that relationship? And then we get to John three sixteen, which puts the weight back on us. And this is the passage that everyone knows for God. So loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Yeah. So, so real quick, um, you know, like when you ask, why doesn't God just force everyone? Um, obviously, you two have wives. I'm single, whatever. But like, tell me if you guys uh, bought your wives flowers because, you know, you had to, what would that result in versus, Hey, Sarah, Hey, Ashley, I bought you these flowers just because I love you. Mm -hmm. Which one is going to go over better? Yeah. Which one is going to like, yeah. uh, honestly, if you bought them flowers just because, you know, at an obligation, they might just throw them back in your face yeah. <laughs> yeah. versus yeah. the, Hey, the, out of my abundance of love for you, here's what I have given you. I think we um, need to get something before we get there, Tim. You've you actually alluded to something even more powerful than where you're going. You said that Eric is married and I am married and you are not married, <laughs> which shows the power of free will, does it not? Sarah said <laughs> yes to Eric's request. Ashley said yes to my request. And I don't even want to go through the list of ladies who have said no <laughs> to Tim's request because of the power of free will. <laughs> Even though Tim wishes that all ladies would say yes to him. I don't wish all ladies. Well, I am not. No. 
no, I'm not playing this. I, I'm not, no. Don't be putting that out there in the airwaves. <laughs> well, ladies, this is a public service announcement. Tim is single, <laughs> single and looking by his litany of, of uh, dating apps on his phone. He is definitely oh looking. Gosh. So if you want to hit up Tim, that's Tim wow. Thompson, Tim.Thompson at nllutheran.com. Hit him up. Gee, giving him out my information and everything. What, do you, what, do you, what next are you going to do? Give him out my address? Yes, my it's uh, 70. Actually, I don't, I don't know your address. <laughs> <laughs> you were, holy crap. That's like the first two digits. <laughs> Can we actually get back to predestination and free will? Man, put my personal life on blast. <laughs> You're exactly right because because you use the word obligation which is the word that i thought as you were as you were talking there's one one of those is love the other is obligation mm. and um and obligation is not necessarily love uh so that's definitely um you're right that that we have problems uh with our definitions if we're saying no it is actually loving to force uh, you to be saved, even if you uh, don't mm-hmm. want to be. So that's like something that we, you know, we throw around. Uh, ben, I know that I know that you throw it around a little bit. We we say God is not a divine rapist. Like He doesn't force you to do those to do uh, what you don't want to do. Yeah, um, I've I've heard that too. I've also heard the whole God is a gentleman thing. Mm. But like, there are a couple of like instances, like Jonah in the well. Right. Where Jonah's like, no, I'm not going to Nineveh. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> yeah. And God is like, all right, but here's this big fish. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we have to be real careful when we throw the yeah, words I think, around. I think God is patient with us. You know, yeah. just, uh, just as Ben, you know, you, Ben, you quoted that second Peter passage. Uh, you know, he's patient with us and he turns us over to ourselves. Um, and I think that, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it here in a little bit, but I think that, um, once we've been in, once we've been awakened and enlivened by the Holy Spirit, um, that that is a very that is a very persistent call that we have um, to life. But anyway, wh- Ben, where were you? Where were you heading? Yeah, I think the big thing is kind of where you guys camped out is that 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 God wants everyone to come to Him. Mm-hmm. He sends the Holy Spirit, which brings us, you know, which shows us the light. Um, but as we learned on Sunday too, is, is we do have the potential to reject that light, yeah. right? That's, that's where our freedom comes in as from our Lutheran perspective is now we cannot choose Jesus, but we do have the potential that when we are given the light, we can reject that light. And unfortunately, most people, that's where they live. They have rejected the light, which is unthinkable to us who have Jesus, but it, it's still, obviously we see that every day. We see that people reject, reject that light, mm-hmm. and uh, which is just an unfortunate, unfortunate thing. But that's where that those two hybrids come together, where we can take all of Scripture into account right. without having to tear out pages or something of that nature. Yeah. So Lutherans <laughs> would say, "You are, you know, especially that that uh, Colossians passage. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know, you are dead in your sin." Before, before you hear the gospel, before you have the Holy Spirit, you, um, you are unable to say yes. You are unable to be saved because dead men, uh, dead men aren't saved, right? So you are, you are actually unable to say yes to God. You are dead in your sin um, until you've heard, and this is uh, Romans chapter 10, maybe I, can, maybe I can flip to it real fast. Romans chapter 10 says this, 
chapter 10, verse, oh, chapter 10, verse 14. So how can they call on someone? That's how can they, how can some, you know, somebody call on the Lord? How can they call on someone they don't have faith in? And how can they have faith in someone they haven't heard of? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are, unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce good news. So you are dead in your trespasses, which is why we would find um, some agreements on the more kind of Calvinistic reform side that we would say you are actually unable to choose until you have heard the gospel, until you have been introduced to Jesus, you cannot believe. Uh, because how can you have faith in someone whom you've never heard of? So we would say that there's this actually proclamation that has to happen uh, from someone here. Uh, Paul calls this person a preacher, but that does not mean a pastor. So that, that does not mean that that only happens in the context of a worship service or some sort of like evangelism event. Uh, but somebody has to present somebody with the gospel in order for the Holy Spirit to bring them to life. And then there's some free will. So we would say, you know, Lutherans, we would say, hey, there are examples in scripture of people turning away from Jesus. Uh, Paul talks about people shipwrecking their faith. And uh, those on the, which is where, I, where we would agree with uh, folks on maybe the more Arminian side, is that you do have a choice, uh, but you are not able to say yes until the gospel is proclaimed to you. Because the only thing you will choose is you will choose death. You will choose sin. Uh, you will choose unbelief unless you've heard the gospel, unless the Holy Spirit has awakened you. Um, so that's where we would say, hey, scripture says very clearly that you are dead. Scripture says very clearly you can't believe unless you've heard. Uh, scripture has these very clear teachings about um, how you are saved. But what, once you have heard and once you are awakened and alive, you can still say no. You can resist the grace that God has given you and you can shipwreck your faith. Um, and some more on the more reformed side would say, well, no, if you, if you shipwreck your faith, you've actually never had your faith. And mm -hmm. we would just say, that's not what scripture says. There are, there are examples of people who genuinely are following Jesus. As Paul says, they have faith, but then they shipwrecked it and they ruined their faith uh, because of, um, because of their own choices and unbelief and their resisting of God's grace. So I like, I like the one question you asked is, do we have a choice in the matter? And yeah, I mean, like that's, and that's, that, that's a question I pose to you guys is, do we, do we have that choice? And the thing is like, it's, it's hard to deny that the, um, the, the, the Saul to Paul story, you know, it's hard to deny the, like, I, I mean, yes, we, Paul could have said no, but like seriously, if you put anyone in that situation, I, I doubt they're gonna say no. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know. So, yeah. what? How would you guys answer that? Uh, I would say people said no all the time. So, yeah. <laughs> you have when Jesus did the miracles, people said we de we want to see a miracle. We want to see a miracle, and he said you demand miracles, but <clears throat> these miracles are not gonna change you. In fact, if you see the, the Son of Man rise from the dead, you still won't have your hearts turned. There's there's nothing more clear mm -hmm. in Christ's resurrected body, mm -hmm. his resurrected person showing up and talking to you. So, you know, as much as we think of like Jonah or as much as we think of like Saul, I think we need to understand that people can be so hardened mm -hmm. 
that they will explain away anything and everything, yeah. including the resurrected Christ, which happened. And, and that's Jesus' prediction that, hey, I'm going to show up. I'm going to walk around. I'm going to come back to life. You're going to see all these miracles. You're still not going to believe. You're, you're going to see that, and you're still not going to believe. <laughs> As we see in the book of Acts, we see that the church is not big. It grows rapidly, but the church is not big. That's after Jesus has walked around God in flesh for three years doing ministry, doing miracles, and then rises from the dead. And what we don't see is what we'd expect to see, which is flocks of people. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not as if people don't reject the miraculous. Uh, we do that all the time. And especially in Christ's day, we see that when Christ rose from the dead, people still did not turn uh, for a number of reasons. Might have been because they, they don't like the implications of having a king because a king tells you what to do. Right. And we see that in the people of the, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they pay off the soldiers instead of repenting of their sins and yeah. turning to Jesus to cover up for, for what? So they can keep some power. They can get, mm -hmm. keep some prestige. Mm -hmm. They should have been the ones flocking Jesus and, right. and been the greatest apostles of the Jesus of Jesus. Instead, they became his, his enemy trying right. to cover up something that was, was there. So I don't think it's a truism that you see something miraculous and you repent, or you see something miraculous and you are frozen into your choice because we see all throughout scripture that people were not frozen into their choices. Uh -huh. uh, Pharaoh is another great example. I mean, imagine all that stuff happening. And then, and then later on, you're still not repenting. Like you have how many times, uh, even, even if we want to say that his last movements were, were frozen in time, mm -hmm. how, how do you explain away all those other things? Right. And that's where we get troublesome. We have, we have an easy time as humanity easier than it should to explain away a lot of miraculous stuff to make sure that we are still the Lord of our lives and Jesus isn't the Lord of our lives. Yeah. I would say God is patient and he is offering, always offering his grace, but um, we are able to say no to that grace. Uh, and it's a little bit, you know, the way that I like to think about it, and, and I, I don't know if this is the, maybe the best way to say this, but it's a way that makes sense to me in this context, is that it's not so much that God has predestined uh, certain people, but it's more that he's predestined certain ways. And that is Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we are offered Jesus um, every week in communion. We are offered Jesus every week in remembering our baptism by confessing our sins and receiving that forgiveness. Uh, it's kind of like if you're a homeless person and there's a soup, uh, a soup line, you know where the soup is going to be. You're told where the soup is going to be. Someone has prepared the soup. It's hot and ready for you. And literally all you do is show up. All you do is show up and you receive the grace. Now I could say no to that soup. And I can die laying on some bench in the middle of winter uh, because I've said no to that thing. That's what it's like saying no to God. Um, it's, just, it's just that silly that I'm not going to take the thing that is giving me life. Um, so we, we can say no, um, or we can show up and receive the things that God has, has given us. 
Um, so it's not so much that we say, it's like, you know, I don't buy into this whole, like, we make a decision for Jesus, we make a decision for God. Um, really, all we're doing is showing up. All we're doing is showing up where God has said, hey, I'm here. I'm here and I'm offering my grace to you. Um, he offers it to us in communion and in baptism and in prayer and in scripture. He says, I'm here. Just show up and get the soup. Ben, you, you threw out a number of scriptures. Do you want to explore any of those in particular? Or do you uh, feel like we've accomplished what you were hunting down? Well, it's, it's pretty clear to me, but I also think about these things all of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully it's clear to our listeners. But I think the, the big thing, is to understand the two spectrums, to understand that the extreme of Calvinism and the extreme of Arminianism falls, mm -hmm. falls short because there's certain scriptures then that you have to explain away. Mm -hmm. And anytime you have to explain away scriptures or skip over scriptures, you're running into a problem, mm -hmm. right? So that should, that should give you a big red flag. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think Lutheranism, you know, just to, to summarize once again, we see this idea that we cannot save ourselves. We are dead in our sins, just like scripture says. And then God wants everyone to be saved. And because God wants everyone to be saved, he produces the light. He has the Holy Spirit chase after us. Um, but in, in light of those things, we still reject. Mm -hmm. We still have the freedom to reject. And unfortunately, uh, too many people in the world choose to reject Jesus Christ and his work for all sorts of reasons. But that is the unfortunate reality of our life is that there's going to be a lot of people when it comes to an end who have rejected that opportunity to be in a transformative relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're going to spend the rest of their eternity apart from that relationship because God is not going to force them into mm -hmm. that relationship. He's not going to force them into heaven because truly that would be a hellish experience to be forced into a relationship that you do not want to be in, even if it's going to be the best for you. Mm -hmm. And so as we see it, we see those two sides that we do have the freedom to reject. It's mm -hmm. God who does the work. And so when we have that faith sparked in our life, our response is merely a response of thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Thank, thank you, God, for what you have done. Thank you, God, for saving me. I pray, God, that I never get so stubborn. I, never, I pray, God, that I never get so far removed from your word and sacrament and fellowship of your people that I could do the unthinkable and reject you. In fact, on Sunday, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this question proposed of, if I do not go to church, will I go, still go to heaven? Maybe a better way, more clear way to say it is, if I don't go to church, will I go to hell? And so that was the question proposed. We're going to answer that question on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And that will actually, it goes perfectly in line with what we're talking about. Right is that, dear Lord, I pray that I do not reject you. Mm -hmm. I pray that I do not get so disconnected from you that I do the unthinkable. And so we're going to talk about that on Sunday. Awesome. That's good. Awesome. All right. Thanks guys. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. yeah thanks, good. Ben. Um, yeah, thank hey, so since I, so it's funny that you guys throw out that I'm single. Uh, and just real quick, uh, like there's these, there's, there's these questions that I always ask when dating, just because, you know, you want to get these questions out of the way. And these, and so I call these questions like deal breakers. Okay. And so my question to you guys, if, if someone does believe in predestination, 
and you know we obviously as lutherans we have everything right and there's yeah, nothing flawed yeah. or nothing wrong with us but <laughs> like if we like is that a deal breaker for heaven if someone does believe in predestination or no. if someone believes in completely in free will no you mean is it like uh <laughs> no i do not believe that those those things uh disqualify you from god's grace Okay. Believing in either one of those extremes, no. Praise All the right. Lord that our intellectual understanding yes. of Scripture or God does not <laughs> does right. not negate us from going to heaven. Everyone yeah. would be wrong, yes, uh, because yeah. we would have to be taking a theology test that no one could pass That's on right. our way in. That's right. So we are saved by grace alone, on account of Christ alone, through faith alone. That's where we land. We believe and trust in Christ's work on the cross. Yeah. That is what saves us. Yeah. We study God's scripture because we want to know who we're in relationship with in a deeper and more healthy way day in and day out. And in the end, that's the beautiful opportunity of heaven is that we do get to know our savior for the rest of our lives. And we will never, never, never be able to explore all the magnitude of who he is, even with the rest of eternity. That's the expansiveness of our God. And so to, to sit in a camp, where you might think that you have ascertained everything there is to know about God, or you have the answer for everything about God. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a pretty bold place to yeah. be. Yeah. I would say it's a pretty unhealthy place to be uh, yeah. and it's definitely a pretty arrogant place to be. Yes. <laughs> and so I look forward to knowing God more and more yeah. the, un- the unexplorable infiniteness of our God. And so we look forward to that in heaven. Amen. All right. That's good. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great uh, have a great week, guys, and good weekend. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you later.